Hi there. Welcome to episode 11 of the e-commerce A to Z podcast brought to you by Kudubaz Reviews. I am your host, Jifa Menza. In this episode, I speak with Rishi Warat of Frictionless Commerce. Frictionless Commerce helps direct-to-consumer brands increase sales by telling a story that addresses concerns and inspires on the fence shoppers to buy. Our conversation today focuses on how e-commerce merchants can have a deep understanding of buyer psychology and get into the minds of buyers. This episode is brought to you by Kudubas Reviews, the best way to collect and display reviews on your website. Stay tuned. Hi, Rishi. Welcome to the e-commerce A to Z podcast. Hi, Mary. Nice to meet you. Can you please tell me a little about yourself? Well, um, I have been thinking about and working on buyer psychology for the last 12 years now, um, even longer. I've had my business for the last 11 years. And um, what I do for clients is I understand why shoppers on their website behave the way they do. And we try and figure out how we can help those shoppers achieve the goals that they're trying to solve for as quickly as possible. First of all, how do we get into the heads of our buyers? So, I think I think the you know I think this is uh, one of those things where it's part science and it's part art. And what I mean by that is art part of it. Um, it's you know. It comes from our personal experiences. So the reason I'm able to effectively work on in getting into the heads of buyers is because I am a buyer and I'm a very particular type of buyer. I'm the kind of buyer who gets very easily confused. I have a very hard time reading instructions, following instruction manuals, um, following navigation paths, That things that are very obvious uh, to a client or to you maybe. Um, like, for example, the location of where information might be available on a web page, I find it really, I get very easily confused. And this is kind of, in a way, a secret power because it has allowed me to be deeply and massively empathetic and relate to struggling shoppers. So that's that's the art part of it. The science part of it is that on the flip side of it, we also have 11 years of A-B testing experience where we have lots and lots of empirical data based on the tests that we are running right now and we have run over the last 11 years on things that work and things that don't work. So those are the that's a two-part answer. So for a new e-commerce business, say less than a year old, the science part wouldn't work for them? Is that what I'm trying to say? Or it would take a long time before they have enough data for them to understand their bias? With regards to I, using science, is that it? That's a that's a great point. I think there is something to be said about how much data you need, and you do need a fair amount of data. But I also think that you know there are lots of qualitative things that you can do. So the data part is quantitative, but on the qualitative side, even if you've had one sale or if you've had five sales, you can start interviewing and talking to those people that bought to understand. Why did you buy in this point in time? Like, why did you buy now, not three months ago or not three months later? Or what what other alternatives and products were you looking at? Or if you hadn't bought, how would you have made 
what would you have done if you hadn't made the purchase and i think those qualitative questions will give you incredible insights into buyer psychology okay what are the nine different buyer psychology stages to convert first time buyers so um and i'll give some background over here as well for your for your for your audience so we have been doing testing for the last 11 years and we've tested pretty much every kind of concept one can think about from design to layout to navigation to call to actions um and we've also tested copy and what we've discovered in that process is that what we have found is that in the testing that we do copy changes um really make a big difference in terms of converting shoppers and so we have these nine what through um trial and error we've identified nine specific copywriting hooks or nine specific copywriting angles that are based on buyer psychology that convince and convert first time buyers and these are number 1 people are skeptical and when i say people i mean buyers are skeptical of too good to be true so be mindful about this when you make a claim even if it's a claim that's true if the if for example if you are selling an air purifier and you are claiming this is 100% more effective than the next best air purifier that seems like too good to be true so even though it might be true but you want to be mindful about this so you want to make sure that people uh, you're explaining this appropriately the second one is buyers find expertise sexy we all want to buy from experts your listeners want to listen to about conversion optimization from someone who's been doing conversion optimization for a long time so make sure that you're communicating your expertise in your copy the third one is buyers root for people who beat the odds there is something about us in our human spirit where we are really fascinated and in and intrigued by people who overcome difficulties and who've kind of you know maybe like this is why the david david versus goliath story has you know resonated over hundreds of years and the reason is because when someone is making an air purifier you know we we want to kind of understand what difficulties they went through because that makes us appreciate the product even more that's the third one the fourth one is we are fascinated by surprising details you know we all we 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 i can i call surprising details almost like energy boosts when you're going through a sales pitch or when you're when you're discovering a product and you discover something really interesting and unique that the product does that you had not even considered before we are really drawn to that uh, so that's that's the top four and then the next one is we are very visual animals so anything that you can explain if you can explain it through a visual narrative it is going to be a lot more effective um we love personalized experiences so anytime you can give people the feeling that what they are about to experience or what they are experience has been personalized for them that is going to really have an effect on conversion rates and then conversion intent the next one is that we like knowing that we've stumbled onto something rare we all like we all like discovering something um that we feel that we are the one of the first people to have discovered so whether that's the reason why certain kinds of music are very popular when they are just launched because there are people that are looking for that new music the fact that it's something new and there's something that they've just discovered 
is appealing to all of us as human beings. So that is something that we should also kind of play on from a copywriting biopsychology perspective if that opportunity presents itself. And then the final one is that ultimately, um, and I forgot one point, but I'll mention the final one, which is that we need to resolve our negative thoughts, which means that I will never make a purchase until or unless if all of my questions have been answered. So even if I have like two questions that are unanswered, but a hundred questions have been answered, I will not make a purchase until those two questions have been answered. So make sure that all the questions that most people, of course, we cannot anticipate every question, but let's be mindful about mapping out the most common questions people have and making sure that we are answering those um, successfully. The point that I missed was point number six, which is, we need motivation to break habits. This is a really important point because at the end of the day, the buyer always has the choice of either pretending like this is not a problem. So like going back to the air purifier example, the user can always say that, you know what? I have survived so long without an air purifier. I'm actually not going to buy an air purifier. Um, that's one solution, which is basically not doing anything. But the other solution or the other option that is available to the buyer is to use a workaround. So in again, going back to the air purifier, maybe if someone is buying an air purifier because they're concerned about pollution or they're concerned about allergens, you know, allergy molecules floating in the air, they might want to solve it by uh, closing all their windows and not opening their windows at all or by buying a mask or things like that. So there are other alternatives. So as a marketer, we have to become aware of those alternatives because we need to make a convincing pitch to the buyer that those alternatives are not good enough. And the, the good news is that the, re, the user is already on our website, which means the user is already telling us that I, I don't think those alternatives are as good as your product. Now we just have to make a convincing argument. Yeah. So what creates friction during the buying process and how can entrepreneurs and e-commerce merchants remove that friction and make it easy for their customers to purchase? Yeah. And this is something also that, you know, one needs to pay a lot of attention to. And it does vary a lot based on, on the, the type of shopper, depending on the layout of the website. But I would say, broadly speaking, friction to me is anything that slows the user down when the goal was not to slow the user down or prevents the user from completing a task um, that they were here on the website for. So look at your website and the great news is that all of this data is, connect, is collected in your analytics data and look to see patterns. In analytics, you can actually break um, site behavior down to the user level. Now they have this new feature where you can actually say, I want to see what a specific user did on my website. And I would say that anything that they're doing that is that is slowing them down or is not their typical behavior is a form of friction. So essentially remove all of this. Um, and so one of the most common mistakes that I see their websites make is that there are two mistakes that they make. Number one is that we have multiple paths for people to navigate. So we'll give like, we'll, we'll have a top navigation, then we'll repeat that same link in uh, at the top of the page. And then we'll repeat that same link at the lower half of the page. And the problem with this is that it can be a problem because sometimes people can use the lower link and they can get to a page 
And then from there, they might lose context or they might have a different context because people that get to the page by having read everything that's on the homepage have different awareness versus someone who got to that page directly from the top of the homepage because now you have links at both locations. So that's one thing that you need to be aware of. Um, and then the other thing you need to be aware of is another thing that causes friction is having too many call to actions. So, you you know, you must have seen situations where you go to a page and we are drawing attention to the fact that we have a discount. We're drawing attention to the fact that we have free shipping. We're drawing attention to the fact that there's a timer running. So if you don't buy now, uh, the discount will go away. There's all of these elements that are competing for our attention. And so really ask yourself, do we do are they all mission critical? And the answer nine times out of 10 is that they are not. So remove them. Okay. Makes sense. So how do you convert visitors with a lower attention span into buyers? So every all visitors really um, are have very low attention spans. And so really we need to really work hard at um, minimizing you know, or maximizing conversion rates in this low attention span environment. So there are two kinds of, there are two ways to go about it. Number one is to actually minimize time wastage. So there was this very interesting study that was done where they looked at, you know, hundreds of thousands of online retailers discovered that the average time on website for e-commerce websites was two minutes and 32 seconds, I believe. And so that's very little time. If you really think about it for your customers and for people listening to this podcast, you know, that is not enough time for the buyer to make a, an, an informed decision. So the way we kind of the way we kind of deal with that is number one is we want to remove any wastage in the website. So if there's any kind of call to action or any page that is being created that is not very critical. Uh, or is low value, which you can also configure and also calculate using analytics. You can look at the page value, and if it's something that has low page value, then that implies that it has low revenue impact. So those kind of content needs to be rethought about because we we have only limited time to convert them. So we need to minimize time wastage. And the way you do that is, one, is by creating a focused purchase path. Like I mentioned earlier, don't allow people to navigate the website in 10 different ways because that means that they will navigate in 10 different ways, which means that it's very hard for us to know as marketers if people are dropping off and why they're dropping off. The second strategy is to keep the experience focused on the primary goal. So if someone, if you are selling handbags, but you also have shoes and you also have dresses and someone comes to the website looking for a handbag, Please don't try and cross-sell them and upsell them on your shoes and, and your dresses. Let them buy the handbag. Um, that's the thing. The third point is like minimize ambiguity. So don't dis don't describe things in a way that is is hard to understand. And what I mean by hard to understand is that don't don't describe things in a way that leads to more questions. So remove all this ambiguity. The next point is to craft content to write at a middle school reading level. So of course your users might be well-educated and that's fine, but you must write in a way that is at middle school level. And the reason for that is because not only because it helps with comprehension, 
but it also helps with quick comprehension. We already mentioned that people have very limited time on a website and they have low attention spans. So writing content in a way that is easy to read really makes a difference. The next one, point number five, is to organize content so related items are grouped together. Very often we'll find things where one piece of the story or one piece of the puzzle is solved on this page, another piece of the puzzle is solved way lower on the page, um, and I don't think that's a smart idea. So group logical things together. The next strategy is to minimize the need for shoppers to hunt, around, hunt down stuff or to leave the page. And this is kind of related to the previous point, which is that don't, don't make the user leave the page or run a search to kind of get the answer. And then the final strategy is that um, always think about the content in two dimensions. There is short content and then there is long form content. We know that some shoppers are skimmers and we know that some shoppers are methodical shoppers. And you cannot cherry pick and say, I'm only going to deal, I'm only going to create experience for skimmers and not methodical shoppers because then you are losing potentially a huge percentage of your sales. Why not cater to both of them? So as you're writing content, ask yourself, would a methodical shopper be happy with this? And if the answer is no, then instead of showing that extra content right on the page by default, which makes the experience bad for skimmers, maybe you can add a link or something that says more detail. And then when you click on it, then we show more details. So things like that actually help minimize time because the user is not having to go through content that they would not have to go through. The other way to deal with shoppers that have low attention spans is to actually buy more time. And when I say buy more time, there are two ways to do this. Number one is that you must write a story. At the end of the day, all of marketing is about stories and the way we kind of tell the narrative. So write a very compelling story. If it's interesting, you know, people watch uh, three minute YouTube videos. They can't watch um, a 20, 30 minute YouTube video. Those same people are happy to go to a movie theater and watch a movie for an hour and a half. From India, like I am, we watch Bollywood movies and those movies run for three and a half hours. And so my point is that how is it possible that the same user that was, you know, not willing to watch anything more than five minutes on YouTube is watching, you know, an hour and a half. And the reason for that is because that's the way the story is crafted in YouTube the stories that are crafted are crafted in the short form. So when you are writing stories, when you're telling a story about a product, craft it in a way that's very engaging because then you will actually naturally get people to spend more time. And so those nine strategies of copywriting that I mentioned 10 minutes ago, those really, really play a role in making the copy more engaging. And then the second strategy for buying more time is that if someone is not ready to buy today, which by the way, is going to be nearly 66% of your audience. So 66% of people that are on a website are actually in research mode, which means they will just not be likely buying today. So instead of trying to convince them and convert them today, why not ask them for permission so we can keep in touch with them through email. And if you use email, then you've automatically earned the ability to stretch time because now you can buy, you can spend a lot, you can send them a lot more emails and you can, you can get more time with them. The e-commerce A to Z podcast is brought to you by Kudobas Reviews. 
Over 70% of online shoppers refer to reviews before making a purchase. According to them, reviews serve as social proof and aid them in making purchase decisions. Collect reviews from your customers and display them on your website to convert your visitors into buyers. Join over 25,000 online merchants in the Kolobas family and start boosting your sales now. The Kolobas Reviews app is available on Shopify, BigCommerce, Wix, Weebly, and WordPress. Check out kolobas.com for more. How and when do we use emotional cues and rational cues? When trying to convey that, first of all, what are emotional cues and what are rational cues, and which role does each of them play, and where? Yeah, that's a great question. I think so. An emotional cue is something that pulls at someone's heartstrings, where it pulls at someone's emotional needs. Um, so, you know, to give you a great example, you know. Um, I'm going to use an American example, but you can use a bicycle example as well. So um, if you are a teenager and you buy a BMX bike or one of those uh, bikes that kids use or a skateboard, you're actually, you know, the rational reason uh, is I want to buy a skateboard. I'm physically buying a skateboard. But the, the emotional need that I have as a teenager to buy a skateboard is to do tricks and show off to my friends and have everyone say, wow, you're so talented. So that's an emotional cue. So if I were to sell a skateboard, I would actually play up on the emotional cue and say, hey, this skateboard is going to prevent you from falling down uh, and doing a trick and looking like a fool in front of your friends. So that's that's playing on their emotional cue. Now on the rational side, so the rational cue is basically features and benefits and features of the product. So. Um, you know, the kind of wheel that you have, how difficult it is to assemble it, um, the, the, the strength of the, of the plywood that is used for the skateboard, things like that would be rational. And I would say the reason why we, I think we need, marketers need to focus more on the emotional cues is because most marketers have already kind of um, optimized the rational cues. Uh, if you look at your competitors, most of your competitors have also use the rational cues. So it's almost like it's low returns to focus on rational cues. And it's almost like table stakes. It's something that people have already solved for. And all of your clients or e even people listening to this have definitely already solved for the rational reasons why we should buy them. But I think what's the unknown and I think the unexplored aspect are the emotional cues. And that's why I would say focus more on the emotional cues because ultimately 95% of purchases are made for emotional reasons. Even though we use, this is an important point, is that if you were to interview customers and say, why did you buy? They will never say I bought for emotional reasons. What we do is we use rationality to justify an emotional choice. Well, why do you think to justify an emotional choice? Is it because we are we are scared of, of accepting that we are emotional beings or what? Exactly right. We are, we are, we are, we are embarrassed to, you know, if you're buying a, if you're buying a house um, and when you kind of looking through the house and you look at the, uh, you look at one of the rooms and you're like, oh my God, this room would be an amazing office. I could convert this into office. I love the layout of this room. You would feel very embarrassed telling yourself, I bought a house because it had the office room looked good. 
you know, because it doesn't seem rational. So you will say that I bought a house because it was a good neighborhood or I bought the house because, you know, whatever reasons are there. But yeah. so, yes. So, yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about storytelling and the role it plays in biopsychology. And you mentioned when we're talking about the lower, how to convert versus to a lower attention span, you mentioned the need of crafting content, you know, at middle school reading level and all of that and minimizing ambiguity and organizing the content so related items are grouped together. What role does storytelling play? See, I'm kind of biased here because I know that sometimes people don't believe that stories play a role. But to me, I think all marketing is storytelling. So because I'm a marketer, I feel like, you know, everything is storytelling. And therefore, I think it plays a very critical role in influencing biopsychology. So I look at it in terms of like a three-step process. Number one is crafting a story, creating a story that, that is beautiful then using that story, you influence the buyer psychology using those nine points we mentioned. And then the third step is increased sales. So I think they're all very strongly related. So I have a biased answer here, and I think we're all biased, but my bias is that stories play a very big role and storytelling is very important. What's one thing you want entrepreneurs, especially e-commerce merchants, to know about biopsychology? That's a great question. Um, I want them to know that stories really matter. And one of the things that we've seen over the years, um, and this is something that especially entrepreneurs that are starting off um, struggle with as their business grows. So what happens is that when you just start a business and you are just one person, you actually are relying a lot on your story and you are telling your story to everyone that you meet. But what happens is as you become successful and as you your business grows and now you have a team of marketers and you are, you know, you're, you've got a team of people that are working for you, um, we tend to actually start de-emphasizing the power of stories. So my advice is to not only, I have two pieces of advice, they are both related. Number one is that pull out your story, uh, polish it and keep on working on it. Practice your story every single day. You know, so that's number one. And number two is that don't lose your story as you grow your business, because at the end of the day, your stories really, really matter. So keep on working on your story. That's my biggest advice to anyone who's listening is focus on stories and keep on, keep on, keep your stories alive even as you grow your business. Thank you so much, Rishi, for coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge on biopsychology with us. I'm very happy to be here, Mary. Thank you for inviting me today. Thank you for listening to our conversation with Rishi Warat of Frictionless Commerce. I hope you implement the tips he shared on biopsychology so that you can get into the mind of your bias. My name is Chifa Mensah. Until next time, stay safe.